right, guys. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. I will be your host tonight, for, for tonight, David, and I'm joined by my other two guys. Introduce yourselves, please. It's Adam. And it's Jerry. So tonight we uh, went ahead and watched a Disney film. Came out, what would it come out? 2007? It was early 2000s. Something like that. Anyway, we watched Enchanted tonight. So if you guys have never seen this, it is one of Disney's... It was a film, Disney kind of was laying out the cliches of all the princess uh, films that they've done in the past, while also being very cliche itself. So if those of you who have not seen it, uh, here's a brief synopsis of it. So you have uh, Giselle. She's in uh, fairytale-like princess fashion. She is singing about her true love, true love's kiss, and she meets Prince Charming, or Prince Edward in this case. And he meets her, and she's like, oh, it's you. And she's like, my name's Giselle. And he's like, Giselle, we shall be married in the morning. You know, very fairy tale like So as they're getting ready to go get married, the wicked old hag, who is actually Prince Edward's mother, stepmother, she's entitled to the throne, and if Giselle marries Edward, she loses her opportunity for, to stay queen. So she sends Giselle to New York, a place where, as in her own words, there are no happily ever afters. And so there she meets Robert. Robert is one of the protagonists and she starts learning what reality in the real world looks like and so it's this tale about her growing up losing that fairy tale kind of mindset there and the adventures she goes through as she's learning how do you bring fairy tales into the real world and also real world into the fantasy world so yeah it's definitely uh it's a fun film very cliche and in the best way so it's definitely a good one disney made so the first question i want to ask you guys is um, does good art have limitations? Because this is not a typical movie uh, many people might watch, especially young men such as ourselves might watch. But there are some good moments in this film. So does good art have an age limitation? Uh, I think it can have a limitation regarding how old you need to be before you can understand it or view it mm -hmm. or grasp all of it. But um, you can't be good... Kid art doesn't have an age limit. We'll put it that way. It's like yes, we're we're four growing men in our twenties, but we can we can enjoy a movie like this because mm -hmm. it's it's well done. It's a good piece of art. Whereas if you went and said, okay, like what we watched last week, um, Road to Perdition, Road to Perdition yeah. a, a eight year old boy or girl is not going to appreciate that nearly in the same way, except for maybe when guns go off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might get scarred. So <laughs> there's a there's that. Yeah. scarred. Adam, so, any thoughts? Yeah, so I suppose there's a lot of different aspects to art. I mean, you have the, the auditory side, you have the visual side. You know, you're sitting in a theater watching something or you're in, maybe enjoying music. There's a lot to art, so yeah, it could be... Uh, it could really approach any kind of age. It just depends, like you said, just on their ability to understand mm -hmm. the art and, and how to uh, absorb it. Mm-hmm. So, definitely, as we talked about already, this movie has some cli it Disney definitely points out all the cliches in the in the film of all these fairy tales. Like, you just met the guy. Why are you guys getting married tomorrow? How ridiculous that sounds. So, even with that in mind, why do we laugh at movies and stories like this? Is it because how ridiculous that is? Uh, maybe that's just very bad? Or is it also, perhaps, a sense of envy? Yeah. Could be a mixture of all of them. I don't know. 
I mean, sure, I'm envious of, like, you know, the happy ending. She's like, oh, mm-hmm. yay, they get to kiss, and they get to have, you know, wonderful moments and a family life together. Woohoo! Yeah, sure, that's, that's... Jealousy can be played into there. I don't know, even know if jealousy is necessarily the right term, because that almost has a negative... You're just, you know, like... Arr. It's like there's anger associated with jealousy. So I'm going to be animated throughout this. If you can't right. So. <laughs> but um, what were the other options you said? Uh, ri- ridiculous, bad, envy. Because I'm saying, in movies we will scorn. Yeah. We will scorn at these like how ridiculous a yeah. film can be, and it could be that for many reasons. But yeah. particularly fairy tale movies. Why would that? You know, that's what I'm asking about that. Yeah, and you know what? I was just thinking while you guys were talking about that, I was thinking of suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. because when it comes to relationships, that's a lot harder for us to have with the suspension of disbelief because we know it firsthand. You know, you can watch a movie with all kinds of adventures and things like that, and you're like, clearly, it's like, yes, there's a there's a flying ship in this movie, you know, like Treasure Planet. It's like, you can enjoy that, because it doesn't hit close to home necessarily. Like, you yeah. love adventure, but you can find it other ways. But it's like, love right there, you, you've been hurt by it before, you've had it, and then it's left to you. I mean, there's just a lot of parts to a romance and relationships that is so uh, complex that it's really hard to say. Uh, you know, can I just suspend disbelief here and just enjoy the film without mm. it hitting close to home at all? Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, true. So, so you're so saying that because we do have such a, we have experience to gaze that on. That's what's hard to suspend that disbelief is. It's so it hits so close to home. You can't suspend that disbelief as easily right. as you could maybe a flying ship. Not easily. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. So, in the film, um, as Giselle gets to New York and she is hopelessly lost, uh, has no idea what's going on, you know, being in New York, and, and she is just so gullible, uh, Robert, who is the guy who takes her in, um, he, says, he says things to her like, she's like, well, no one's been very nice to me. He's like, yeah, welcome to New York. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> like, she does not get sarcasm whatsoever. <laughs> but he takes her into his home and... You know, he doesn't know anything about this woman, and he's trying to help, and he, because, you know, she comes there, there's all these animals the next day, um, she almost ruins his relationship with the woman he's dating. Let's mention Morgan, by the way, because that would be even stranger if we just say that it's just him inviting a girl in. True. Yes. He is a, he is a, he has a dad, he's got a little girl named Morgan, she's eight, I believe, yeah. so, uh, so Morgan's just definitely, um, no pun intended, enchanted by Giselle, and... She just thinks, like, she's she's a real princess. And her dad's like, she's a very confused woman. So he helps her, and it puts him in a really tight spot. So when should we help others, or should we help others, even if it costs us something, or even puts us in danger? Puts in danger, I think. That's, uh, that's a hard line to judge. I think if, if Giselle were a guy who was acting this crazy... Um, and you have a little girl, obviously there's, like, no chance, like, no, this, I'm not even gonna talk to this guy, like, leave him be. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there's, there's something to be said there, but, I mean, she seemed harmless enough, I suppose, in that giant, woofy dress, she couldn't even get very far, so. So, just because you're saying she's pretty, we're gonna take a chance? No, because she's a, uh, she was a dainty woman who, he could have easily overpowered if there were any danger, but there's also an element of, uh, you know, help. He wasn't originally going to even bring her over, and then even seeing her is like, oh, she's very, very harmless. She's just 
kind of an idiot. So, <laughs> so, and so he might be a little so mental. So he has so. more sympathy, like, she's going to die if I don't do Exactly, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there was, yeah, logistically speaking, and because she was, you know, just a very uh, fragilely-minded woman in the middle of New York, it's like, okay, there's really no danger to my daughter here, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it... To that, I mean, there's gonna, it's going to be so situational when helping people. Yeah. You know, you do have yeah. to weigh the, the, the danger of it. You know, are you inviting them into a house with your entire family? You know, there's a lot mm. of questions to ask with that. However, I would say it's always going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you the energy, maybe taking care of the person when they enter your home. It could cost money. I mean, there's, there's going to be, I mean, we had someone that we were taking care of for a while. Know, who who just kept falling into issues and we had to to step out because she hardly had anyone around her to help and so uh, situations like that you do have to weigh the cost of it because there is going to be cost anyway you know that's just inevitable yet you're going to be inconvenienced you know these things are not going to be always to your liking and even when you do desire it you're going to give up some resource whether it is even if it's yourself Another kind of to transition later in the story. So Giselle is very innocent, as we've talked about, but you can tell she generally has a care for people. And you've seen many times in the film where she'll see a woman and she's like, oh, she's lovely. Oh, she is beautiful. And it's just like she's so oblivious of what's going on around her. But there's a, there's a side of humility to her. Um, I forget who it was, but talked about how humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So how can we, because she's a very pretty girl, but she's also just so, lo she loves people for who they are. So how can we become more humble people, more concerned about who they, who they are? Because we typically be, tend to be more focused on how am I feeling, what's going on in my life. So what are some ways you guys have seen in your life where you can cultivate a more heart of humility towards other people and caring about them where they're at? Just, I mean, outside of a natural gift for it where... I mean, if, if Giselle were a real person, I would say she have she has a natural gift for caring for other people. Um, I think in the real world, it's just a proactive mindset, unless you just have a natural gift for doing that on automatically. Like, you just have to go into a conversation, how can I focus on, how can I love this person in front of me? How can I make sure that I am focusing on um, what their feelings are, what, what they need to hear, things like that? Yeah. Actually, really depends on where you put your faith in, because you're gonna put if you put yourself if you put your faith in yourself, you're more likely to be selfish. You're more likely to seek out okay, who's mm. what's something that won't threaten my survival or won't threaten mm. my my goodness, whatever that goodness is defined in your mind. But you know, for us, our faith is in the Lord. If that's the case, then what He says, it returns back to us, you know, through Scripture and through prayer and all of this, to where. We just, see, see, we just seek to serve others in that regard. There's a generosity there that we just want to pour out. So it comes out naturally as mm. opposed to just trying to care for people. And you know, on a, on a daily basis, that, that can be tough in the sense that you don't always feel like helping people. Mm. But that's why you need something above yourself in order to, to say, okay, there is a, there is a, say a, there's a standard or like there's a something beyond this for me to cling to to say yes I do see value in this mm. you know, because it's just if it's just you to another person what's there to say 
is there any value in you or them? Yeah. You know? It's funny, uh, not to divert to a different uh, source of media, but there's a show Adam and I went through called The Good Place. Very, very hilarious. Great show. But there's a point where they talk about, uh, it's all about like their version of heaven and hell, good place, bad place, and you get into the good place by actual moral point values that you've earned throughout your life. <laughs> and they actually broach a conversation at one point. And it's like, uh, yeah, you earned some points, but it's because you did good things for because there was you knew there was a reward at the end of it. Um, your your intentions were not simply for the sake of helping somebody else. They weren't selfless reasons for doing good things. Um, and but they never mention why that makes it good. Why that makes it better. Like the act is the same, but the but the points change because of the intention. Why does that make a difference? They never broach that. It's just like, oh yeah, that's obviously that's a that's a better reason to do something good. But they never go go into that. So it's almost as if do the right, you know, doing good. People are like, if I just do enough, then I'll be a good person. Mm -hmm. It's almost like doing. We, we were like, we're not content like doing the right thing. You want the what's the motive behind doing the right thing? It's almost like doing the right thing is not enough. Right. What's your heart behind that? And that's something you can't just do or manufacture because good yeah exactly yeah all right moving on so as Giselle and Robert are talking walking in the park um, they're having a conversation about uh, relationships and she's like he's like uh, how long have you known um, Edward and she's like oh it's been about a day he said oh a day like you know it's it feels like a day because you're so in love and she's like no it's been a day and he's like you're kidding one day and she's like yes and tomorrow will be two days it's just <laughs> over the top so let's just talk about dating and um you mentioned this about suspension of uh disbelief adam so how can we think better this is kind of half multifaceted here so you can take this kind of where you want to go with it how can we think better about dating at least in american culture today what things are done well perhaps in dating what things do we have the wrong impression of and how can we how can we think better about those things? And there's a follow-up question that's really important to this as well, but where do you, th you know, where is our culture today think about dating and how can we be thinking better about that? You want to go first? No, you go ahead. I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, well Adam's thinking. Um, as far as dating in our culture, um, it it shouldn't take five years as it did with Robert and uh, Nancy, was it? Wasn't it Robert? Nancy, yeah. yeah, Nancy. Um, took like five years before he's considering asking her to marry him. Um, like, obviously their circumstances were pretty good, so I don't imagine it was like job related. Like, oh yeah, we're we, we're we're already committed to each other, but like, there's we just have to get in the right situation for this to actually move forward. Like, obviously that was not the case because they were they were living in pretty good conditions. So you uh, waited five years just thinking about uh, Morgan, his daughter. It took five years for Nancy to finally take Morgan to school. I know, right? It's like <laughs> uh, since she was three, and, and like that's it's crazy. And the fact that Morgan doesn't even know Nancy very well is like what the heck. But that's that's yeah, besides the point. Yeah, this is getting dark. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. It's like how did you, how did for date this one for five years and your daughter barely knows her? Like what the heck? Anyway, that's beside the point. Regardless of that um, realization, very dark realization. Um, <laughs> that, so this just got a lot more interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about it until now. But that that is an exceedingly long time, and dating in and of itself is—I um, mean, 
to a degree, it is a means to an end. It's, it, it is uh, it is almost kind of like a merit-based thing. Do they have these qualifications? But also there is an element of what are my emotions in this? Is this someone I actually love? Uh, I don't think that should take exactly five years. That's not, I mean, I suppose it's possible, but that's, that seems very be. long to me. Uh, but I think it's not so it, it's not so much about the dating that's wrong. Like you can talk all day about okay, this is the right way to date, this is the wrong way to date. You know, these things are wrong, these things are good. You talk all about that, but what it comes down to is at the end of what are you dating for, and how do you view marriage at the end of dating? If that is what you're dating for, you're dating for marriage, which should be the only kind of dating. How do you view marriage? And we view it as. Uh, almost a legal con normal culture, American culture and tends to view it as just a legal contract with a way out as opposed to the Christian view of it is covenantal and there is no way out. It is a final commitment um, till death do us part very literally. So I think it's not so much dating the, the view of dating that's wrong it's the view of what comes after dating that's wrong which does affect how you date. So kind of the motive behind, kind of go back to the motive. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty similar to that. But first of all, I think on a good side, at least what I see with America is we are very communicative. So mm. I think I see a lot of engagement, not engagement in terms of like wedding engagement, but just the way people engage, it's, it's very active. You know, you see a lot of just interaction and willingness even to date um, with that. It's just, you know, what's be below the surface and how willing they are to step in that that commitment and all of that and commitment is scary but i think it sometimes they it isn't even addressed at all and that that's the problem with the way that our dating is laid out is there's really no end in sight there's no it doesn't seem like there's much desire to really find out what where you're shooting for mm. you know it's like okay for the time being we're both happy with each other and that can be a good outlook but it's it's like what does that mean? You know, with one day somebody invades your happiness and so you just cut it off immediately. It's like, that's not how it works. Mm. So I've seen that more common nowadays because of our, you know, our, what's the word? It's like our, uh, satisfaction level. It's like, if you don't meet these satisfactions of our, of ours, then you're not going to meet my personal view of happiness. Mm. Whatever that is. Which then actually kind of leads me to another good question then. So kind of what you've been talking about saying like pursuing these relationships. Do you think then we put too little value on friendship in light of romance? Hmm. In light of romance is in precursor? In other words, the temptation is when you meet someone of the opposite gender is to go to a romantic relationship. And granted when you get to a certain age it's kind of a given but do we place too much of an emphasis on I need to have a romantic relationship versus can I cultivate a great friendship and have those kind of those conversations with yes versus just pursuing romance so absolutely I think there's definitely a problem with that right now because of our desire not, for not pursuing friendship. not pursue yeah not pursuing friendship and jumping into the relationship because that's that's often why you have such broken dating relationships mm -hmm. is because people jump into whatever they view, whatever this idea of dating is for them. Uh, I'm not sure that the, there's even a standard in many ways for what dating is, which it's going to be different depending on who they are. But still, it's like when you're in the relationship, you seem to just enter through the back door 
and since that friendship wasn't there then you start to get to know who someone is in a different light you know your expe expectation going in if you if it's starting with dating is uh, i want to be in a romantic relationship with this person which immediately jumps into that radical beautiful kind of love but if you don't get to enjoy the journey of getting to that love of scaling the cliff you might say of really uh meeting these challenges along the way of knowing why you love that person then it doesn't really work out you know and that's part of our instant gratification is we do we do desire what we 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 want a beautiful love we want something that will satisfy us deeply in that and when it doesn't you know of course we want to give it up but it's it's easy for us not to give second chances in relationships because we don't cultivate that friendship and let it bloom over time which can take a while, and that's hard. You need patience. I got nothing. I'm, <laughs> I got, I'm in agreement. Oh, well, thank you. Well, kind of in, in line, another thing in line with that is, do you also think we need to like ourselves to have a healthy relationship? How do you mean like yourselves? So one of the reasons I, I would argue we would maybe get into a relationship in the first place would be there is obviously a dissatisfaction with ourselves, but it could be that I don't like who I am. So like in, in the movie's case, for example, Nathaniel, who is um, Edward's mother, uh, the queen's... Um, kind of servant. Servant in a way, yeah. and she's playing, she's playing him on because he thinks he's in love with her. And she's playing him like, you know, hey, do this for me, and then we can be together. Yeah. But she has no intention of that. But he is so blinded by his affections for this woman, he's willing to do anything, even, you know, kill Giselle. Right. <laughs> and he comes to a census towards the end. But uh, he's watching a, um, I cannot believe I'm saying this as a moral here, he's watching a soap opera. And it gives <laughs> him this picture of, um, you know, she, the woman says, you know, how can I love a man who doesn't even like himself? And you can see Nathaniel think he really doesn't like who he is. And the fact that this woman is giving him that kind of gratification, he's willing to do anything to keep that. And I think when he starts to realize what he's doing, he starts to muster up the courage and he starts you know, liking himself for who he is. And therefore, yeah. he doesn't have to. So do you think that can also be, we do that a lot in our own relationships where it's like, there's something I don't like about myself, but hey, they like me, so they're, I'm getting gratification from them. And their affections for me. Yeah, definitely possible. I think I, I don't know if it's like a rampant problem, but I definitely think it's a possible. Could be common, common enough. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the capacity to like or even love someone often comes from the way we treat ourselves. You know, because if 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 we have the energy to give to someone that we love, then there's usually a usually a preface to that as we appreciate the value of love and we feel that value ourselves and we want to pass it on or to uh, you know, see it revealed from ourselves because yeah. we're like we know the experience of what love is mm. and we want to give it to those yeah i think there's uh, I, I hate to use the term like you need to like yourself because i mean well it's, it's, it's what the film used but what would you, right what would you and say I, I would say um self-respect is would be the better term because you don't have to necessarily like yourself in that, like, I hate that I have, you know, this issue. Like, I always, I struggle with this. Like, be honest with yourself, but also be respectful of yourself. And part of respecting yourself is knowing how to, uh, to fight your own, 
your own bad habits, we'll say. I mean, I would say sins in a, a secular sense, I would say your bad habits, uh, the things you repeatedly do wrong. So there's, yeah, you should have self-respect. And if you don't have that, your relationship's going to be at least dicey. Yeah, and I don't know what the movie meant by like either. I mean, yeah. Like he was asking him, do you like yourself, Prince? Like he was asking him, but yeah. that seems so casual. It's like, yeah. do you really, is that just like, oh, I like myself when I'm sitting here watching the television? Yeah. Or what does that mean? And I would contend Who that... a person probably, but... Well, and I would contend that Nathaniel, he didn't like start liking himself and then he like said, okay, now I'm the good guy and fight against the witch. It was no, he realized in order to begin to like himself, quote unquote, as the movie puts it, he had to be honest with himself and see the the queen for the evil woman she was and go and, and do the right thing. And do the right thing. Yeah. So that was him trying to begin to like himself. It wasn't he, oh, okay, I like I, I like these little things about me. I'm good I'm the good guy now. It wasn't liking yourself makes you good. It's like you he did good so that he could like himself. That is an excellent point, considering how a lot of men want to be passive, and it's like, if you want to be a man of integrity or courage, you need to do something. Somebody do something. Yes. <laughs> Good call back there. But, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point just to make is we act, and that's who that's how what shapes us, especially as men. Yeah. And that's our thing. the best thing for us to do is to start making good decisions, even hard decisions. Yeah. So, uh, Chesterton has a quote. Of course. Uh huh. Uh, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Hmm. I don't quite know what Chesterton's talking about specifically when it comes to dragons per se, but like if he's talking about monsters, like children, we know there's monsters out there, and we love fantasy stories because they they draw a very clear picture of good and evil. So, with that, what does this particular fairy tale teach us about love? And, and maybe even what do fairy tales teach us about love? Because I don't think Disney's advocating that we fall in love, we meet somebody, and then marry them the next day. Hmm. But the, the film is portraying that. But what is this film teaching us about love and relationships? Hmm. How are you tying that into the quote? So, he's saying that, like... you. They're teaching that dragons can be slain because they're, you know, the dragons in, in the fantasy story. So that would be alluding to something like courage. Right. There's like, you know, there's a giant monster outside the door and you're outnumbered. What are you going to do? You just sit down and hunger down? It's like, no, I've read these books and I've seen how the knight went out and he slayed the dragon. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to go slay, slay my, you know, day at work and kill it today. <laughs> I'm going to go get exactly. that, yeah. take that resume out there. So... What I'm throwing out to you guys is what is what are some themes, and it can be general, but what are some things that this fairy tale, and maybe fairy tales in general, are teaching us about love that we don't take literally, but we take, we see the principle behind it. I mean, I think the movie did a good job with the the number the the musical number that was in the park. Um, you like that number? Don't I you? did actually. It's I was good. I had forgotten about that number, but it was such a good call to say like. Uh, I was actually surprised because it, within 15 years, I don't think Disney ever would have written a song like that or, or made a movie quite quite like this. Enchanted would be much different if it were made today. But that scene really showed like, hey, men have a responsibility in a relationship if they love somebody to actually show it, to prove it, and to do something about it. And that's what the whole song was about. 
and it had very few lyrics, but it was a really good call to do that. But at the same time, in the matter of that song, you see a woman who's calling for the man to step up. She's not stepping up for him. She's calling him to do so, mm. uh, playing her role in that. And I thought, like, that was that was great. That was I, I loved that because you don't really see that in modern uh, in modern filmmaking of any romantic sense. The woman calling the man to step up and showing that it is the man's responsibility to do so. Mm. Um, so I, I think you could relate that to the quote. In the, although in this case, it's more like "Go kill the dragon so you can save the damsel." It's more focused on the damsel in distress in this one. And, not always a damsel in distress, as we saw at the end of the film, uh, which I, I'm I'm fine with. That's it doesn't always have to be a damsel in distress. I mean, we kind of we kind of like that fairy tale mindset of just like I will save you, <laughs> I will slay thee, the giant metal beast, <laughs> as you almost uh, as you stab the bag of the grain in the uh, old lady's hands. But yes, <laughs> uh, watch the film; you'll get that reference. But anyway, yeah. And the song he's talking about is uh, how does she, how does she know? And basically saying, like, how does she know uh, he love? Yeah, you know, he loves you, and just the man, the actions a man has to take to prove that love. What were you gonna say, Adam? No, I was just gonna say, why why can't we have larger than life courage? You know, because the problem is put it, that on a t shirt. Yeah, I know, but think about it. There are we make so many problems larger than life. Ooh. Like we create so many issues for ourselves in our own minds with reality. Mm. And because of that, that's what breeds cynicism. That's what breeds discouragement. I mean, all these things. So why why would we not strive for that kind of larger-than-life courage? But the reason why some people find it so strange is because it's like, wait, you're supposed to have problems. You're supposed to have flaws, you know, and all of this. And some of that, it's like they're almost discouraging you from that that kind of uh, courage. And it's that's why it's the... Uh, the power, I mean, in so many ways, is in your hands yeah. to make a decision about your attitude because your attitude can shape your reality yeah. in a lot of ways. And you see that kind of courage in children, which is why fairy tales mm. appeal to children because it has that larger-than-life larger sense of not only physical elements of things that are literally non-existent out of this world, but it has larger-than-life emotions, which is what they will resonate yeah. with. And that's why scripture even tells us, you know, humble, humble yourselves like children. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because then you will, you, you tend to possess more powerful emotions, especially if they're derived from the Holy Spirit. They're going to be pretty good emotions and they're going to be much larger than this petty little world. Exactly. Yeah. And I was thinking of Don Quixote too. I still have to read that book, but it's like, that's a bad version. <laughs> if you're looking for biblical examples of that, that's not a good version, but still you have this character who's seeking after this fantasy and yet he does it so uh like so dedicatedly you know there's nothing that'll turn him away from defeating this thing <laughs> and that but that's still a beautiful example to look on is uh, i kind of heard the way the book ends but i don't want to spoil anything the i still want to read it but... it's the original dungeon crawler <laughs> dungeon crawler what does that mean isn't it him fighting his way through the different levels of or what am i thinking of I'm no, thinking of something. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm thinking through something completely different. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Like that sounds exciting. It's probably a video game. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a video game. But <laughs> okay. anyway, sorry. Yeah, but it's very uh, Quixotic. Is that the term? Because his name has become uh, like a Don Quixote. Cool. It's become a euphemism. So it would be it's a euphemism. I don't know. Let's not get lost in terms here. Yes. <laughs> but still, it's that I example. I don't know what melodramatic feeds. <laughs> but yeah, it's that, that example of What's know, taking date? your courage into realities. So, um, 
kind of like you, you mentioned children. I think this kind of transitions to the next question here. So as we get, as we see Giselle is in New York and she's talking with Robert, she, at one scene, she's, he says, I'm not upset. I'm angry. And he's telling her how much he's angry about, you know, how he's, his chances with Nancy are gone. And Giselle, she's just like, he's like, yeah, she thinks you and I, and she's like, kissed? Like that is the <laughs> furthest fathom, like unthinkable thing she can think of. And there's that innocence there. But then later in the film, she has her moment where she starts getting angry. And you can see she's hysterical. She's like, I'm angry. I'm angry. And she's like happy and frustrated and angry about being angry. And then she has this moment with Robert that she doesn't quite know what to do with. So we love children because they're innocent. And we're appalled when we see from one moment or another when that innocence is taken from them. So do we have to lose our innocence to become mature? And is that a good thing? Um, I think in, in this world, yeah, you're going to have to make mistakes in order to grow from them. That's simply, I mean, we, we fantasize that you don't necessarily have to like, I mean, there are certainly lessons you can learn just by being taught things, but I mean, you can be told, Hey, you shouldn't have sex before marriage. And then you go and do it and you realize that they can, it can cause a lot more problems than just the fun of it. So, I mean, sometimes mistakes, basically because of our sinful nature to actually rebel against authority, uh, and that can even just come in, not necessarily someone's in a, has power over you to say you should not, to say you are going to be punished if you do this. It could just be authority of, hey, I'm a wiser person telling you not to do this. If you do it, something <laughs> bad is most likely going to happen to you. There will be consequences. I'm not going to punish them. Nature itself, sinful nature itself, is going to carry out this punishment. Mm -hmm. um, and since we refuse to believe that in our rebellious natures, then we are, it, it is impossible to get through this world without making a mistake in order to grow from it. Yeah. Yeah, and since innocence is not really ours, I mean, we have to talk about worldview here because we are, the term sanctified it's talking about in scripture about we are sanctified in Christ and that we are being made mature over time through him. And because of that, I mean, if we are simply innocent, if we are perfect in all regards, then there's no reason to grow. You know? And when we're here on earth, we are given a chance to grow because we are imperfect and because we can look to someone who is more perfect, which is Christ. And so because of that, we have an objective, you know, we're not just seeking out more imperfections for that. But yet we still provide a good example for each other. But that's like each of us can be like a child looking at their father. That can be a little light of goodness in there of, of learning from someone who has walked through those experiences and getting an understanding. So the maturity does, yeah, it can't, can't merely come from innocence, especially when you don't have an, an objective or, uh, you know, some goodness in sight beyond yourself. So it almost, it almost sounds like the innocence, it's not something that we lose. It's almost something we exchange. Like you're exchanging it for maturity, but you're, the maturity you're talking about, Adam, is you're seeing like your father and you're pursuing goodness. And so as you're getting older, you are becoming more mature, but you're exchanging that innocence for something something better almost. Hmm. Maybe not better. I mean, we would, I, what, I guess, what do we mean by innocence? Innocence, like, you could see Giselle's, I think you were the one who said this earlier, Jerry, innocence was a, almost an ignorance, where she didn't know about all these other things, like anger. She had no clue what, what anger meant. 
let alone what the implications of what would cause that anger or doing the wrong thing. Like, you know, she seems perfect, but um, in that regard, she was very innocent. And so when that stuff happened, she didn't know what to do with it. Mm. So it was almost that blissful, you know, ignorance is bliss, as the term goes. It's bliss, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing necessarily. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's about growth, I think, in many ways. Because even when she was innocent, she, she knew nothing. But as she grew, she learned how to deal with the world that she was living in, mm-hmm. which is far more effective and, and was good for her in the end. Yeah. I'd like to see the story change whenever she realizes, like, you see her running a business at the end of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, the, the birds and the bees <laughs> are quite literally helping run this business. But I'm also curious, like, what did it look like when she first had to come to understand what an electric bill is, what the lease mm. payment is, like what all the manu- like manufacturing costs, and like I'm cur- I'm curious about the leave it to me to try to be the logistical person here, but I'm curious, like okay, how did would that have changed her once she all that stuff kind of hits her and she realizes this world is different? I have to navigate all of these other facets of life. Mm. It's not just oh, I get to make dresses and throw them on and put, give them to little girls and, and women like to make them look beautiful. Like, yeah, I'm sure that's the great fun part of her job, but there's a lot of other stuff that has to go on. So Absolutely. what is that? What? How does that change her? It's almost like them taking responsibility is what you're kind of talking exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. And I understand it's a fairy tale, so they're just going to kind of skirt over that. That's, that's I, I didn't think about that, but that's a good point, saying how part of that maturity is responsibility, and that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. It's yeah. just that it's part of growing up. Yeah. And it's our view of our view of it. Yeah. So you could yeah, you could actually add that both mistakes and res- and responsibilities are going to lead you into maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, mistakes are definitely the less preferable way. Hopefully but the mistakes lead you to maturity. Hopefully, not just yeah. Further you... adolescence right. and ignorance. Yeah, true. Uh, and I think as as men especially, responsibility is one of the most powerful teaching tools because we are willfully ignorant oftentimes. But when we're given responsibility, it's a call to mission, which mm-hmm. we are just biologically engineered to ha- to react better towards and mature towards because there's actually it's like whenever you put a uh pull up a p- uh, a plant and then stick it on like a pencil above water you actually see it start reaching for it. like it'll like it, it has nothing to gain from except it knows there's water there and it starts growing down towards it mm-hmm. you actually see that so there is a call to mission that we grow towards whenever it's there in front of us and it, we have to take it in order to survive just like a, you know, you, you enter a new role in a job that gives you more responsibility. It might be rough, but you're going to grow from it because there's a call to mission you have to fulfill. Hmm. That's a good, yeah, that's a good illustration. Okay. I love that. An awesome point. So last question. So throughout this entire film, um, ironically, Robert works for, I don't know what you'd call it, a law firm, but he's primarily working in the, the divorce department. He's a divorce lawyer. Divorce lawyer. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the irony about the whole thing is he has a very cynical view of relationships, love, and and all that. But there's been a couple he's been um, talking with, and they've been working through, you know, getting the divorce papers final. And after they talk to Giselle, they're at the at the end. They're like, "Hey, we're together. We're good." And he's like, "You can't just throw this all away. Throw all these divorce things we've been going through out the window because by chance." And she says, everybody, and he said, you have problems. And she, uh, the woman replies, everybody has problems. Do we give up all the good times because of them? Hmm. So kind of, it's funny. We're talking about suspension of belief. Why do we believe or think that relationships should be 100% good all the time? And so why, and then thus, why are we surprised when problems arise? 
Hmm. Mm, I think it's just the problems we don't expect arise, or they arise more severely than we ever expected them. We expect to be able to handle certain things, and then they come along, and you, we realize our own inadequacies. Mm. And I think that tends to be as much of a cause of strife of being angry at yourself for not being able to fill the role you thought you, you could, as much as it is being angry at the other person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there there's so much to say about the experiential side of these issues because you can look forward into the, you know, you can do as much as you can to prepare for what's coming, and yet when it actually does come, you can hardly handle it. Yeah. So it's like, but if you think about the way you react to these things, I mean, there are going to be, because every, burst, every person carries a world inside of them. And so because of that, when an issue arises, it's, it's going to unleash certain things in your own mind. Could be issues in the past, could be you know, some stresses, some stressors that you have currently, things like that, that are going to arise during that time. Yeah. So you're not just dealing directly with the issue itself. You're dealing with a lot more. There's other things going on apart from that. And that's why I think that's why the issue it, it can really break down with couples is because they just see the, they want to address the issue itself and want to say, why can't this just yeah. be fixed? It's like this, it, it's like this uh, you know, riddle without an answer. But a lot of it is because they haven't addressed those other things going on with each other. You know, they're not looking outside. They're not... They're just navel-gazing and yeah. not looking up and saying, okay, what's wrong with you? Because yeah. you know, that could be the issue. Yeah, and That's I think a there's, a, there's a misconception, too, that not, not 100% of the time, obviously, but a decent amount of the time we have a misconception that uh, we need to be ready to, fu to actually fulfill certain roles in a relationship, in a marriage, things like that. Um, and you never enter a new job knowing how to do everything. You're going to make mistakes. Again, it's that responsibility. It's that call to mission. So I think uh, we have an issue where a lot of people in a relationship will put responsibilities. I think the church has a big problem with this. Uh, relationships in the church will put more responsibilities on and expectations on a relationship that they are not called to fulfill those expectations or pursue those to, uh, pursue to learn how to handle those responsibilities. Yet it's it's not it shouldn't be in there. It shouldn't be part of that. I'm definitely guilty of this. Um, like give me an example. Like a, a responsibility on a relationship. Like oh hey you're a couple. This is what you need to do. Is that exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Certain things that you have to that um, like we need to make sure that we. Uh, we've practiced all these certain marriage things. We've fulfilled these types of roles within a marriage before we can actually get married. Like, no, you're not going to learn how to do this for a very, very long time. You just have to be willing to actually take on the responsibility. You don't have to be ready to fulfill every single part of that responsibility to a pretty good extent. You just need to be willing to take it on <laughs> and take it on with the other person. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Take on the responsibility. I like it. So kind of um, in light of that last question, um, we've all kind of been going through, you know, relationship stuff, but how can we think better when new problems arise for relationships from the wisdom, you know, wisdom that you guys would love to offer our listeners? What's some wisdom you would glean for? Like, here's something to consider as you're pursuing a new relationship. Um, tell the person you're dating that. I can't do this on my own. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope and, you can't because it's not a dating relationship if you're by yourself. Well, true. Yeah, if, I'm <laughs> talking if hypothetically here, if you're in a relationship, 
uh, be honest and upfront that, hey, I can't do that. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm afraid of not being able to do well. Um, and I'm going to seek help to make sure that I can do this well, or at least know what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being so, as simple as that, and so that the other person can say, hey, I'm going to encourage you to do that well. And thank you for being open. We'll we'll keep this keep this discussion going because I mean a lot of I think a lot of fights happen when the other person don't doesn't know what's happening what's going on internally in the other person, and then there's a problem there, and they don't know that the other person is trying to fix it, hmm. and so you just get angry. You tell them, "Hey, I know this is a problem. I can't do this uh, because I suck at life." So <laughs> I'm going to go seek help. <laughs> just so you know, this is going to cause some pain for a while, but. I'm going to work on this. Hmm. Yeah, mine might be in a similar vein to that because I would say be willing to be an open channel. And by that I mean not only be open with them and uh, speak about, I mean, as quickly as possible where these issues lie. You know, whether it's a bad attitude one day that you can't explain, all of these things, kind of address it along the way, but also seek out mentors, seek out people that are going to be able to sit on the outside of the relationship and observe what's going on. Because I know in my own life, when I mean, I remember when I was entering into a relationship, I quickly found a few people that I could say, hey, I'm going to come to you for hmm. questions. And, you know, later down the road when I was dealing with a really tough situation in that, I would vent, you know, I would express my frustrations, and they would be able to speak into it in a way that I couldn't. Because, again, when we're in the moment like that, it's not easy to talk about it. So, but when you have those other people who are like, have you thought about it this way? And your anger just kind of <laughs> dissipates and you're like, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So you need that. So be an open channel both ways with, yeah. with the person you're dating and you know, outside of that. Yeah. And even think about it as so, you see, in every, cl- every cliche bad guy in a movie that actually allows people to die, you see the bad guy always like, oh, you messed up on this order I gave you. I'm done. Shoots the guy in the head. Next person, you're going to fulfill this role now. It's like, why did you just shoot the guy who made a mistake and is now going to probably not make it again or do better because he learned from it? Like, you're just you're shooting yourself in the foot by doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it could be the same with relationships in some ways where you're actually saying, uh, okay, I'm going to end this because I this obviously isn't working. Like, you just, yeah. you keep, I mean, there's a point where you just got to say, okay, this actually does not work no matter what we do. There can obviously be a point there, or you just don't want to be in it anymore. But is there a reason to keep shooting yourself in the foot just because, (laughs) just because like, oh, this isn't working or like, like, would you, again, like, would you actually cut off your foot simply because you broke it? No, you'd wait for it to heal, take some time, take some work, take some practice and effort, some care. It'll get back. It'll get back to working order. I was also thinking, like, what would a criminal's counselor look like? <laughs> you know, like as he's robbing the bank, like, you need to think about, you know, how are you going to address these people? You know, are yeah. you are you going to rob them? You're going to waste resources? Yeah. Probably might kill the he might kill the counselor too because he's just like I don't like the forward. I don't want to talk about this. And then and then Jerry could actually shoot the guy in the foot just to yeah. prove the point. <laughs> this is what you're doing to yourself. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but no, that's some great, um, definitely the vibe I'm getting from you guys is just being honest and having communication. Cause that sounds like that's just a lot of what we, we, we pose a lot with our social media, like with this picture, even like, you know, swiping left, swiping right. Like, you know, we, we want people to see something of ourselves. And I, and I love your point about there's a world inside every person, Adam, that's a great point because 
when we were talking about those relationships and the friendships and realizing that people are, we have stories and we need to appreciate the stories in other people. And they're not all, mm -hmm. all those stories aren't pretty. And that's to your point, Jerry, earlier about taking responsibility. Are we willing to take responsibility of this relationship, who I am, my baggage, who she is, her baggage, and are we willing to walk before, walk forward in this and try to make one another better? So I think there's some great wisdom in that. So thank you guys for sharing. Of course. Thank you for asking. Yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this has been another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. One last thing, we, we just thought it was so funny as all of this is happening in New York. What was it that gave us this idea that Giselle and Edward are Avengers? I didn't think about them being Avengers. I, I was thinking of it as in they were the ones who actually came through the portal above Stark Tower instead right. of the Tatari. Well, I think it was because Giselle was singing. It's like, wow, she's like a superhero. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, because then Edward's like, you know, with the, the shining sword. And you think yeah. of like the guys from like um, Asgard with Thor and whatnot. And I'm like, dude, because they're just like, what if during the portal yeah. with the Chitauri <laughs> as they're invading New York? Giselle just falls yeah. from the sky. And... They need to cast Amy Adams as Squirrel Girl, and that would be that would be perfect because I, I know David doesn't know this character, but Squirrel Girl Thanks. actually defeats Thanos in the comics. It'd be amazing because she yeah. she actually controls like squirrel armies, and she has the proportionate speed and strength of a squirrel, and it's actually amazing. That's so nice. it's so cool. Well, and they have two loves first kiss, which is supposed to be the most powerful thing in the world, and apparently that's more powerful than the Infinity Gauntlet. So nah. I rest my yes, case. Uh, there we go. There we go. But oh, and, this is. Uh, I I'll I won't be uh, modest here. <laughs> I do have a song out, <laughs> so if y'all oh, want to check it out, yes, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure of that. What yeah, my song is called "Newfound in A Major." Newfound is one word in A Major, like the key of A Major. Uh, you'll find that on SoundCloud or on my Facebook profile, I suppose. Yeah, look it up. It is fantastic. Rice, yes. we, we will include that in the link. But yeah, we are just um, just young men wanting to explore the world around us and just talking about good art and the things that we've made. So definitely we look forward to sharing you with you guys more things that we're making and just um, trying to make a, you know, a little difference in our world, make it a, a nicer yeah. place. So Adam Rice, newfound, one word, newfound in A major. That's it. Cool. So. All right, well, this has been another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. I'm your host, David. This is Adam. I'm Jerry. And we'll see you next time.